Heavenly Father, today again, we're thankful for this book. We're thankful that we have an authoritative source of truth. We live in a time when people want to reinvent the truth or rename the truth or come up with new truth. And yet we know, Father, that if we want to know what's real, we come to the Word of God. And the important principles of life are here to be found for us as believers. We're thankful we can study this book. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit can teach. So we'd ask today that he might be the teacher and that these things might be practical to us. We ask in our Savior's name. Amen. Now, as we go through this, uh, I hope, and it's not my intent to come across as being heavy-handed or negative, or, con- or to be critical or con- you know, casting sto- aspersions or on the character of anybody that disagrees with us. But there are some things that I feel very strongly that need to be said about some of the doctrine that's taught. And the Sermon on the Mount in the, in the Scripture is the most misused section of Scripture that I know of by far. It is so badly misused. And it is to the detriment of the church when it is misused. So if I get a little bit emphatic or a little bit dogmatic, that's not a bad word as a pastor to be dogmatic. <laughs> if I get a little bit dogmatic, you understand it's because I don't like people messing with the Word of God. I do not have any time or place for people who pervert the Scriptures. It drives me crazy. And my prayer for myself is when I get up to teach, I say, God, do not let me mishandle your Word. It's your Word. I don't want to do it. I might come across as a bad speaker, but I don't want to become across as an inaccurate one. Now, we are looking at, we're moving into a study. We've been dealing with Israel's history in the past to make a distinction because if we say we have something better, we ought to be able to have an idea and we ought to be able to tell others what did they have better than what? What was it they had? Now, we didn't go through every detail in the Old Testament, but we went through a broad overview of things. And we've come to a point now where we're doing something that I I haven't heard anybody do, and I'm not sure why. But the Sermon on the Mount is not for the church. It describes a future kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, as it comes on earth. And it includes, of all things, six distinct laws, at least six distinct laws that will be in place in the millennium. Now, I don't know about you, but I always wondered in the past, what's it going to be like to live in the millennium? What, 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 What kind of rules will there be? What will the society be like? Little did I know it's found in the Word of God. We, we know some of the things that are going to be true. And so, we start off in, in Matthew chapter 5. Now, the first part of the chapter, as we mentioned before, you'll notice who he was really teaching. And this is important to note. You can help. If you have friends that have misunderstanding, please just show them Matthew 5, 1 and 2. It really should help them a little bit. It says in Matthew 5, 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, he opened his mouth and taught them. Who's them? In context, who does them refer to? It's a pronoun. Who is it that, who is in context, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the disciples. Now, it's a public gathering. The crowd comes in, and so he is going to speak to the crowd ultimately, but what he's saying is for the disciples. And the reason is, if you look down, At verse 11 and 12, you'll see something. This tells you who he's talking about. This is who is the salt of the earth. It isn't for us today. Let's look and see who it is. Blessed, verse 11, Matthew 5. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Every Jew out there was not a prophet, but the 12 disciples were going to be his prophets. And you can find out, and we mentioned it, we went through it, and we're not going to go back through it again. 
But you look later in the Gospel of Matthew, you find he sent them out as forerunners to go where he was going to come. And they were going to proclaim a message. They were going to serve as prophets. Because all the nation of Israel wasn't a prophet. My word, if they were all prophets, who would they go prophesying to? Anybody ever think about that? Just like today, if they say to the church, all the churches should all go to the mission field. Well, then who's going to be here to, put up, to raise the money to send us? You know, who's going to be here for this country? Then we're going to have to turn around and come back here and do our evangelism because we won't have anything left. So please notice, it's, it was, this was for the disciples. He was telling them what they were going to do. This is how they were going to be the salt of the earth. The Jews themselves were not the salt of the earth. How could we say that when they were the ones that said, crucify him? You read that in John 18. All the people got stirred up by the chief priests, and all the people said, crucify Christ. So let's be clear about this. This is strictly and entirely given to the disciples. Now he's going to say things. Ultimately, they're going to spill over to the crowd, but he's addressing primarily, this is addressed right to his disciples. This is how they were, you read these first 12 verses, this is how they were supposed to go out and present the gospel, this, their, the gospel of the kingdom. This was their ministry. They were going to go out, but they were still going to be hated. But here you have what they were supposed to be like. That's what the, he's talking about the disciples. He's not telling the church how to do it. Folks, one thing you can do, and take me up on this, it's very easy to do. You read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you tell me how many times you see the word church. You know how many times you see it? Big goose egg. You don't see apostle. You don't see anything about the death of Christ in here. You don't see anything about the resurrection of Christ in here. The gospel's not in here. You don't see anything about the rapture. You don't see anything about Christian truth. You don't see Christ in you. You in Christ, you don't see anything we know and believe as, as being important for the Christian life. But you do see something that's going to be important for the millennium. So now, when we get down, we were looking last week, we start, or last week, two couple weeks ago. We started on, and by the way, verse 17, please notice here's another important thing. Verse 17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, we showed you last week when something is fulfilled, it's done and put aside. In other words, what Christ is saying here, he was going to fulfill the law, and when he did, it's gone. The law, that's why the law is not in effect today. And by the way, when you look at Matt, when we get up here a little further, you're going to see that it's not even going to be in the law in the tribulation or the millennium. It's not going to be the same thing because it is going to be replaced. Look what it says in verse 21. We were here last week. You have heard that it was said of them of old, Thou shalt not kill. Actually, it should be murder. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, you have heard it said, we mentioned that before. The reason it's put that way, it's not that Jesus is saying this is hearsay, but it's in your notes and you can see it, and I put it in again, that typically the average Jew did not own the scriptures. Papyri was extremely expensive, and very few people owned them. So where did they get it? They heard it said in the synagogue. They heard it said in the temple, so they heard it. So it's not, just, it's not saying there's anything wrong with this. The way people commonly heard the Bible they weren't privileged like we were. They couldn't go to the dime store and get a dollar Bible at the, at the Dollar General. They had to hear it read in the synagogue. Some wealthy people could have copies of the scrolls, but by and large they didn't, so they heard it read. So now he says, You've heard it said by them of old, Who thou shalt not murder. Now, that's the sixth commandment. And uh, that says murder. So, look at what happens. Verse 22, but I say unto you, now answer one question, folks. If he says, but I say unto you, is he agreeing with what's said or is he saying there's something different coming? But means there's something different coming. He said, but I say unto you, 
that whosoever is angry at his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever say, Hell fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Let's be little folks. Pretty serious stuff here. Now, when he says that, when he's, when he's saying that, but I say unto you, he is replacing something. This is different. You notice he doesn't say, but I say unto you, thou shalt not murder. No, he doesn't say that. What you have here is something very unique that shows you how stringent it's going to be. People who want to, to live under the law or people that want to live under this as a standard, they better read what it says literally. Do you realize if you take this literally, if you say, thou fool, you shall be in danger of hellfire? We'll talk more about that word, but that word means danger, means guilty. In other words, you're going to get it. Would you say today to someone, Pastor, if they said, fool, they're going to go to hell? No, no, if I take the Bible literally. You've got a problem here if you do that, folks. You see what happens? That's why people use their imagination. Oh, when people allegorize and say, well, the deeper meaning is this. Mark it down. Let's, put, let's be very nice about it. They're using their imagination. Because the Bible doesn't say to allegorize. It doesn't give you any guidelines as to how you read something into Scripture. I'm just stupid enough that I say if it says this, it means this. Well, just imagine going to work. Brother Scott works for FedEx. And then so they say, we'll pay you so much an hour, brother. And you go in there and your paycheck all of a sudden is half what they say. Uh, you, you're going to go back and say, here's what you said. You're going to go by what they said, right? Literally. You're not going to let them read something into it. Well, that would be, we, what we mean is that would be in an ideal conditions when everything was perfect and the sky was red or blue. Or, you wouldn't let them do that. Nobody would let them do that. Nor would you let them do that on your mortgage. Who here would have, have a set mortgage and allow the bank to say, well, you know, what we really meant by that was, oh, really? Well, what's here? Why in the world would people come to the most important book in the world and allow people to do that to the Bible? I want to know why. I get, I get offended at that. If I get hot under the collar, I guess it's because I'm a, I'm a grumpy old man. <laughs> but I don't like people playing with God's word. I happen to believe he, he means what he says and says what he means. Now, when we look at this, going into our notes, the sixth commandment is replaced. He says, but I say unto you. And it's obvious he's replacing it because he says, now, now the law is stops, goes back, it goes back to being preemptive. What it really tells you, point number three, under the millennial law, it would be impossible to get to the point of committing murder. You can't even get there. Well, why? Because there are three things that are, that are picked out here that would prohibit someone from getting to the point where they wanted to commit murder. You won't even get the motive. The motivation won't even be there. It's preemptive. Can you imagine that today? Could you imagine if somebody pulls you over and says, ah, ah, Brother Kevin, I know you were, the cop pulls you over and says, I know you were planning on doing 70 in this 55 zone. I'm giving you a ticket because I know you were going to do it. We wouldn't do that today. Today you only get punished if you do actually do something wrong. Well, we're going to see that's, that's not going to be true here. Look what it says here in Scripture. It says, but I say unto you, whosoever is angry at his brother without a cause. Now notice, please, so, so many commentators will pick up and say, anger is wrong. See, it says anger is wrong. No, it doesn't say anger is wrong. Even in the morning, what, is, what does it say? Anger is wrong when it's without a cause. Yeah, little, isn't it funny how people pick parts of things and leave some of them out? I don't understand that. When you, when, and we, we have a class every third Saturday on Bible study, and this is one of the most 
elementary principles. I don't think I even separated this. It's like it, the, the one principle is read everything that's written on a subject. Don't just pick part that you like. And that's what people do all the time. I got to turn on this so I get rid of the hot, some of the hot air up here. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm still here, but some of the hot air gets blown away. But now this word for anger, it's, you'll notice I put it in here, and I put the Greek words in here. And for those who want to see them, they're here. But the one word that is here for anger is one of the two major words for anger or wrath. And this word is defined, and I, I like the way it's defined, so I took this gentleman. There's a gentleman named Trench that, that did a book on synonyms. It's really, really, really good. If anybody wants it, by the way, I can send you a PDF copy, and you can see if you do any, if you like to dabble in Greek a little bit, I can send you one. Ask me afterwards, and I'll be glad to forward you a copy on PDF. I have the paper copy at home, but I also have a PDF on my computer, which is kind of nice to have. I think I sent, did I send that to you, Pastor? Yeah. It comes in handy. It really does. But Trench says this word means a more of abiding and settling habit of mind with a purpose of revenge. Now, that settled state of mind, I think when you look at it, that's the kind of thing you see where someone will sit back and they'll wait for a time for revenge. I'm sure you've all read stories somewhere or another where someone plotted revenge and it took them 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and they finally, they got their moment and they took that revenge. And all that time there was this mental state it's not an emotional thing. No, it's a steady state of mind. It says, I'm going to get you, sucker. I'm going to wait for the right time, and you're going to get it. That's what it is. Now, there's another word that's, uh, that's one of the works of the flesh, and I have it down at point number B. I said this type of anger, that is, this one that you see in here, this orgizomai, this anger, it's different from one that's a work of the flesh. It's translated wrath, and that word is thumos. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a word like temper. And this trench also defines that as a turbulent commotion, the boiling or agitation of feelings. And, you know, it, we use that word right, actually, because everybody has a thermometer, don't they? Thermometer comes from this word. Thermometer looks at something that the temperature can go up quickly. It can go down quickly. It's a quick rise or something. And this word here for temper, it's the work of the flesh. You hit your thumb with a hammer. And usually you don't sit there and say... That tomorrow say, hey, I hit my thumb yesterday with the hammer. I'm mad now. No, it's right then. It just crops up. The anger crops up. And if you don't know how to deal with your flesh, you'll do something that you'll probably regret later or say something you probably regret later. Boy, a lot of words have been spoken and because of temper to other people. You can't take those words back. So temper is a really nasty thing. Well, but now this is the kingdom lesson. The kingdom, you notice we have down here, the kingdom law prohibits a settled state of mind that would seek revenge. But now notice, it's, a, it's revenge without a cause. Now there's going to be, and we're not going to deal with it in here where it talks about uh, the, the section in here, verse 23 through 25 and 26. We're not going to talk about that. But that is connected to this because it allows people to, in some fashion, to have a way to redress their grievances with other people. There's going to be a legal system so that things will be done right. Remember, Christ is going to rule in righteousness. He's not going to rule like the courts do now. You, you know, you have to go court shopping. I mean, that's what they've been doing. The, the left has been doing that for years. They go court shopping to find a judge. Oh, see, oh this guy, he, yeah, he'll say what I want. We'll go to him. That's not, exactly, that's not exactly enforcing the law. That's kind of, <coughs> kind of stupid. But... So you'll notice then the kingdom law will prevent someone from having a settled state of mind that would seek revenge. Now, 
you'll notice what it says if you are angry without a cause. You know what it says here? It says, we shall be in danger of judgment. Now, that word is translated in danger. I put it near, near the bottom of page 13. There's an arrow there. And there's a Greek word which means is literally liable for something or guilty of it. And let's go over to Mark 14 for a moment. I want you to see how that word is translated. You can see what it means here. It doesn't mean that, well, you could get it. You might get it. No, it means you're guilty. You're going to get something. Over in, in Mark chapter 14, and uh, when Christ is before the high priest boy, and, and the pilot, it's amazing the composure this man had. He gets beaten, he gets hit, and he stands there and doesn't say anything because he didn't plan on saying anything. And he's getting smacked around, and it says and back in Isaiah, his visage was so, so marred you couldn't even hardly recognize the man, and yet he doesn't say anything. It's amazing. It's amazing this what he was like. But so, verse 63, it says, Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, What further need have we of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy, what think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Not liable, guilty. It's the same word. And it tells you how it should be translated back here. It's, it's, it should be saying back here what it's saying in, in Matthew 5.22. Whosoever is angry, angry with his brother without a cause is guilty of the judgment, is guilty of concerning judgment. In other words, you're going to be judged. You're guilty. And the only question is, what's the sentence? Now, that's a lot different than what you're thinking here. It says, oh, he's liable. No, that makes it sound like maybe, maybe you will, maybe you won't. No, 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 no. No, that's not the case. Please notice, that word is, you're guilty. You're going to get it. You aren't going to get off. I always hate when they see people plea bargain in court. You know, someone goes in there and he's got a list of offenses this long, and they finally, he committed murder, he did this, that. Finally, they said, oh, okay, he pleads guilty of jaywalking, so we'll give him... $50 fine, he's jaywalking, he goes out and he's a murderer. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that goes on with plea bargaining. No plea bargaining here, folks. No plea bargaining here. Those of us that like justice, you know, Pastor, I'd like to be like myself for just 15 minutes in the, in the, in the Millennial Kingdom where I could see these people get what they had come and say, yes, 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 see what happens to you rotten people. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of, uh, you know, isn't it, isn't it a good thing that we're going to be changed because I can see Pastor Kevin and I sitting over in the corner over there. Brother, you see that one? Can you see Don, did you see that one? Oh, look at that. That's wonderful. Be, be like fantasy football. <laughs> We'd have to start our own fa- fantasy punishment league in the millennium. I said, well, Kevin and I will be running it so you folks can sign up now and, and, and reduce rate. But anyway, so you'll notice that me just simply wanting to seek revenge, having that mindset, that made you guilty of judgment. Now, going over to, we're on the next page, on top of page 14, it says, now, liable for, but you'll notice it says, let me see, I'm skipping over something, liable for judgment, and something's missing on my notes here. Hmm. What did I do? Somehow my notes got goofed up. I'll have to go back and double check them, and I'll have to get to... Folks, uh, corrected set because. Uh, I think you're okay, Don. Actually, look at, D, look at D on 13. Let's see. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, oh no, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, guilty. Okay, so that just brought that down. But so, let's see. So, the religious leaders pronounce. Yeah, okay. So, then there's the, the next one is so you have another. So, you have, th- you have several things mentioned here. Three things that would. That would prevents or that would cause someone to maybe want to commit murder, get them to the motivation where they would. And so then it says, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka. 
Now, that's a, that's a word we don't have, and it's a borrowed word from Aramaic. And uh, by the way, Aramaic, I put a footnote in here. One of the scripts that Aramaic used was identical to the Hebrew. So it actually looked like Hebrew. And if you had a Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, when you get into Daniel, there's sections in Aramaic, and you can't tell the difference. There's just some minor differences between the two languages. And, and, but if you can read one, you can probably read the other with a little bit of, a little bit of practice. It's not that difficult. So, but rock is a, is a borrowed word, and you've probably seen this, but I, uh, every place I look trying to find any etymology of the word, they simply say that they, all they know is this borrowed from Aramaic, and it's a term that was verbal abuse, and you'll notice that Freiburg describes it, and I put his definition in here because I thought it was good. Verbal abuse, blockhead, numbskull, fool. So, in other words, if you say to someone, you blockhead, you fool, you, well, not fool, because that's a different word. It's down here. It's got a different penalty. You, you rock out of someone. It says you're going to be liable or guilty of going to, he says, Raka shall be, guilty, shall be in danger, guilty of the council, guilty concerning the council. Now, that's, that's a little bit different. There's a distinction here between the two. We're going to get to that in a second. So, you look at unjustifiable anger, and Raka is, makes one liable or guilty of. In both cases, they're guilty. And all that remains to be done is for the judge to pronounce the sentence for those first two. Now, there is a distinction between, between penalty for anger, unjustified, and using, uh, uttering Raka. And this is maybe splitting a hair, but it's something that it's here for us to know, so we might as well know it. You'll notice that anger without cause makes one liable for a set penalty, a set judgment. You'll notice it says, whosoever is angered his brother without cause is guilty concerning the judgment. Now, of is a very, it's a very bland word in English. It can be a whole bunch of different things. And it's true with the Greek. And I would just translate this or just put this, shall be guilty concerning the judgment. In other words, there's a set penalty for this. Now, you do have that with some crimes t- Today, if you commit certain things, there's a set designated penalty. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. Unfortunately, judges seem to get around that sometimes. I don't know how, but they, they, have the, they, they allegorize the law. That's what it is, brother. They allegorize. Maybe that's what we should say about our judge, our court system, is they allegorize the law. That would be a good way to think of it. But so anger without cause, you notice that's point one with the double, getting creative there with the fancy, using all my keys on the, on the computer. Uh, it's, it's a set penalty, but Raka, you notice the difference is Raka, who shall, whoever says to it, brother Raka shall be in danger concerning the council. Now that's, that's the word, if you have an interlinear, you can see it's the Sanhedrin. That was the Jewish religious body that could pass civil sentences on people. In Christ's time, remember, they couldn't pass the death penalty. That's why they went to Pilate. They wouldn't have gone to Pilate if they could have done it, because they even said to Pilate, our law doesn't permit us to put anyone, anybody to death. Well, that was because Rome said so. so. But the civil court could do a lot of things. So what happens here now, it says, Raka shall be guilty concerning the council. So uh, they're going to go before the Sanhedrin and so that they will select the appropriate punishment. I put that into point number two there. So there's a little bit of a difference here, and it's interesting to note. I'm not sure why there's a distinction. I've, I've been asking myself that ever since I've noticed it. I, I can't figure out why is there a distinction. If you say, if you're angry without a cause, there's already a set penalty for that. And if you say Raka, well, the Sanhedrin decides what the penalty is going to be. 
But in both cases, the one thing is, you know, the distinction, you'll notice point number three, the distinction is not whether one's guilty of either infraction. Both offenses make you liable or guilty. You're, you're guilty of punishment. But anger has a set penalty and, and uttering raka, well, that, that penalty has to be decided. So it's a little bit different, but you'll notice that. Nobody's going to get to the point where they commit murder because if you get to the point where you get angry enough to be motivated, all of a sudden something's going to happen. Now, I didn't put it in your notes, but you could refer yourself over to Matthew chapter 13 because it does say that uh, our, our, you know, people complain about our police department. I personally don't believe the police are corrupt. I believe there may be a few here and there that aren't good guys. But by and large, I stand behind the police and I, I respect them. I think they're great guys. But, uh, and, and let's see, over in... Uh, in Matthew 13, you can see that, uh, see, verse, reapers or angels, uh, I should have written this down. I thought I knew exactly where it was. Talks about the, uh, 41. 41. Yeah, there we go. That's, that's where, and the son of man shall set forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom. All things that offend and them that do iniquity. Who's going to, who's going to be the police force to bring these people in? Angels are. Hey, I'll tell you what. Now we're talking, now we're talking first-class police. Nobody's going to mess with these guys. There's not going to be any plea bargaining. You're not going to be able to bribe them. They're going to take you in. So this law is going to, you see this law is going to be fulfilled? Now, if you put this today, do you realize what a mess it would be? Our, our court systems are already overloaded, but people getting angry? Well, I'm afraid I'd be dra- getting dragged in there, too. I've, I've, have, haven't you ever said, look at that fool up there in traffic? Well, I did it. I'm in trouble now, brother. <laughs> Scott, are you going to come with me and try to get me off? I'm already gone. <laughs> Scott's already... He's, he's, a, he's a FedEx driver, if anybody would know about <laughs> that. That's very true. So, now, getting down to the bottom of page 14. Now, we're really going to see things heat up. Taken literally, this contradicts the epistles to the church. And boy, does it ever. Now, no one is under the law today. In the first place... It contradicts the scripture because nobody's under the law today. Let's be honest, folks. The law is not enforced today. I don't care what they say about the spiritual part of the law, this part of the law, that part of the law. For heaven's sake, did you know, look at Acts chapter 15. This is something that, that strikes me as being strange. Nobody seemed to listen to one thing that Peter said. And Peter sometimes was such a smart guy and said the right thing. And here's a case where Peter gets 15 stars, not just 10. I'll give him 15 this morning, Pastor. But if you look at Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 7. And when, much, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, as even as he did to us, and put no difference between them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you tempt? And that's the word tempt. Why do you tempt God to put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither we nor or our fathers were able to bear? Neither we nor our fathers were, were, past tense. Peter's saying, we were not able to bear the law. What is he saying? Well, we're not under it now, but we weren't able to bear it when we were under it. You see what he's saying? The whole, this whole chapter is about, should the Gentiles keep the law as Christians? And here's Peter's answer. You're going to tempt God? I like to paraphrase it and say, are you going to try God's patience by giving them the law? Is that what you're going to do? You're trying God's patience. You're tempting God. 
And that's what it means. You're putting God, you're putting God to the test. I think of it as you're trying God's patience. Because the law is done. It's gone. Didn't Jesus say he was going to fulfill it? What is fulfilled is done. It's fulfilled. So we're not under the law. And now, here's the big one. Point B down on the bottom of page 14. Jesus was not giving an exposition of what Moses really meant, which would, which would really be for Israel, not the church. But he was not giving you a law. I have, you know, I have a big problem. Do you think that God would say something and not tell you what he meant and depend upon us to figure it out on our own? In other words, there are men who say, I know what God really meant. Now, they're not saying it that way, but let's look at it from this point of view. When someone gets up and says, well, here's what this really means, what they're saying is God didn't mean what he said. I know what he meant. Oh, really? Oh, really? I'm going to put myself in the shoes of God. And I'm going to say, I'm speaking on behalf of God. I'm a prophet. I know what God really meant. I'm sorry, folks, if anybody goes there, I will stand away from them because if God throws lightning bolts, that'd be a good time for one. I don't want to be close enough to see what happens. I'm going to back away from that person. Now, point number C down there. So please remember, nobody has the right to say that, well, this is what God said, but what he really meant was this. Anybody says that, I would look right at him and say, how do you know that? What gives you the right to say what God knows? I wouldn't put up with it, folks. But you'll notice point number C. There is no prohibition against getting angry for the Christian. Now, you might find that striking because people like to take this, and they don't take the last part of that back in Matthew 5.22. Whosoever's angry, well, you shouldn't be angry. Well, it says angry without a cause for one thing. But then if you go over to, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Is there a prohibition against the Christian getting angry? Well, I hope not because I'm in trouble with that because I'm starting to get angry this morning when I'm speaking, you know. If it sounds like I'm upset or angry, I'm, I'm frustrated about what people do to the Word of God. I can't, I can't bear what they've done to it. I hope you feel the same way. Now, in Matthew 4, or rather Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. Be ye angry and sin not. Now, that be ye angry and sin not indicates that I can get angry. You can get angry. And you can get angry without sinning. So anger is not a sin, is it? Because if you, it says be angry and sin not, then you can be angry without sinning. And it goes on and tells you how. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. What happens if you get angry about something and you keep dwelling on it? Oh, nothing. No, if you keep dwelling on it, what happens is eventually it gets worse and worse and worse. And now what originally might have been a burst of temper now becomes, you might decide to plot, say, he got me. I don't like that. You keep dwelling on it. Say, I'm going to get him. Oh, now you're going into what we talked about in Matthew, where you've got that settled state of mind that says, I'm going to look for the right time. So you can get angry, but just don't hang on to it, folks. Just don't hang on to it. Just remember who you are in Christ. Just remember who paid for all your sins. Just remember all the times that maybe that you or I have done something to make other people angry because we were plain stupid or callous. Boy, I, I know all about that. I, I, was telling, I was telling Brother Troy here, I, I'm going to get peppermint soles for my shoes because I put my foot in my mouth often enough, I want it at least to taste good. So if you know anybody that sells peppermint soles, let me know. I want to get them. But so you'll notice, though, you'll notice the different distinction here. Uh, a believer commits sin. Only then is there any chance of, of being chastened by the Lord. The only time you get in trouble for, getting, for doing anything 
And not just getting, not getting angry, you don't get in trouble with that, but if you do something in anger, you see how far removed it is? If you confess your sin, what happens? Oh, God says, I'm going to get you anyway. No, it says he forgives. If God forgives, it's done. But now, you notice the difference here. Ephesians 4.26 doesn't make any, any distinction between justifiable and unjustifiable anger. It just says, don't, it says, be angry, but don't sin. It doesn't say if it's justified or not. It just says, don't do anything with it. But now in Matthew 5.22, oh, 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 it adds, you notice that, that what goes, goes on here is this anger, it's, it's made stronger. It adds insulting epithets to it. So be angry and sin not. Really what you have is he's building off that. You're angry. And these things that are said are said because of anger. It's an extension of it. You get angry, you'll say to us, then you might even say to your, your brother, Raka. Well, now that's gonna that makes you, you punishment from the Sanhedrin. Now you know you notice what I put in here when when believers are enjoined to speak graciously. Uh, remember, there is no condemn while believers are enjoined to speak graciously. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. You know, I, I slip up, you slip up, and we may say some things that are stupid or wrong or bad, and confess it as sin. But it says here, Romans eight one should be something that you that you write on your forehead if you have to. It says, there's, now, there's, there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now, them that are in Christ Jesus, who are they? It's everybody that's a believer. If you're born again, if you've been saved by believing the gospel of 1 Corinthians 15, you are in Christ. And there is now no condemnation. Now, that's your position in Christ. That doesn't mean that God can't chasten you. Don't, don't be mistaken about that. I'm not saying God won't chasten you, but there's no condemnation. But now, you look here. Man, alive. The, the results for full. Now look what it says here in point number two on, on page 15. The commonly used insult fool results in one being guilty and sent to Gehenna. Now let's be literal, folks. I put in here the Greek words. It's the Gehenna of fire. And uh, if we had time to go there, you can go and look at it. You, fi- you find it's called the lake of fire in Revelation 20, verse 14, and the lake of fire in Brimstone in Revelation 20, 10. And you know what the, that is? That is a permanent place. It's called the second death. And no one that goes there ever comes back. And there is no second chance. There is no reset button. You know, I, I think people go through life looking for a reset button. They want it all the time. Well, when they get here, they're not going to find it either. Now, if, we, if we're going to sit there and take this literally, if we're going to take this literally, do you see what it says here? If you say fool to someone, you're going to go to the lake of fire. Oh, you know, that only contradicts a whole bunch of verses of Scripture. And I listed some here. This is just some of the ones. But look at the ones that you have here that talk about the security of the believer. These are all about the security of the believer. Philippians 1.6 is one I, I use all the time. He that began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. If God's going to finish and perform it, how can I lose my salvation? But if I'm going to take this and apply it to today, thou fool, you're going to have Christians going to hell. Now, how do, you, how do we reconcile that? Well, that's why now you see why they have to come in here and they have to say this is not taken literally, but it means this. They have to say that because they want this for us today and they don't like what it says. Now, folks, I got a problem with people. Uh, you know, they come along. You know, God didn't appoint anybody to be an editor of his word. You know what I mean by editor? We watched a movie last night where this one person wrote this nice, this nice story and the editor put it in the paper and changed it completely so it didn't say what, what she wrote and it caused her problems. 
that's exactly what happens when people get a hold of the Bible. They, they want to edit it. They say, well, this, we don't like what God said. This doesn't fit what we think should happen. Really what it goes back to is there's a whole, and, and this, uh, I'll just take a second to do this, but there's a whole type of theology. There's a whole school of theology, which we call covenant theology or reform theology. And their idea is that before Scripture was written, and it's not, you won't find it in the Scripture, God made a covenant of works with, with Adam that he could earn eternal life. Now, I don't, I don't see that found. I don't see that found in Scripture, but that's what they say. And then because he sinned, God made a covenant of grace with him, which said, ah, I will send Christ to the cross and he will pay for the sins of the world. And so they have all the Bibles about spiritual salvation. And when God said to Abraham, look up at the sky and see stars, what he really meant was, look up there and don't you see the cross with Jesus hanging on it? What? You'd have to eat pizza before you went to bed and have a nightmare to come up with such an idea as that. And even then, I don't think you could come up with anything that's crazy. You see what they do to the Bible? That's what they do. They take it because they have a preconception that the Bible is only about spiritual salvation. I've got a headline for you. God picked the nation of Israel. He promised them a land. In Genesis 15, he said he gave them that land, and it's still their land as far as I'm concerned. Two-state solution can go fly. It's their land, plain and simple. And God promised that, but he didn't promise it to us. Why don't people understand that God can do one thing for one group of people, set them aside, and do something else for another group of people. That's us. We're not related to Israel. We're not spiritual Israel. If you take this, if people want to take this, I'll bring them right back here and say, okay, if you've ever said fool, why aren't you in hell today? Well, they're not going to want that. So they, they've, they've got to. They've got to, in some fashion, they have got to twist and, uh, and make it something that it doesn't say. Now, we're going to stop, and we'll have to come back, and you stay tuned. Uh, you have to come back later, and we're going to go on page 16, and we're going to talk about a real hot spot. This one is a doozy, about the, the law concerning adultery. Oh, boy, this is, this is a hot one. This is a hot one. This is one that people just love this one. And I, in the notes that I have, you can look ahead and see some of the things that are on there, and I have some footnotes in there that uh, maybe are a little bit incendiary, but they, they're, they're deservedly said. But... I hope you see today, this morning, when we stop, our time is up, and uh, we don't pay overtime, so I have to stop on time. But uh, I hope you see today that people, that when, when they come to this book, the most serious error that you could possibly make is saying that God didn't mean what he said. If God said this, he meant exactly what he said. And anybody comes here and says, well, when he said this, what he really meant was this. The only way you're going to get that is you have to use your imagination. Because there's nothing in Scripture, there is nothing in Scripture that says, here's how you allegorize, here's how you find the deeper meaning. If you find it, come and show it to me, and I'll eat the pages written on. And the pages next to it, too. i got a good appetite sometimes. You won't find it. You will not find it in Scripture. So please, folks, realize this is not for us. Now, you can share that with others. Don't be vindictive about it. The way I would do it, I would simply say, if, if this is for today, let's go back and look at verses 1 and 2 and see who was he talking to, and then verse 11 and 12, and what was going to happen to them if they practice it. His disciples were going to be his prophets, and they were going to be hated. What has that got to do with you and me? Not a thing. Now, this is beneficial for us to know because this, the more important thing is this tells you something that you wouldn't know otherwise. We would have no idea what the millennial kingdom is going to be like. 
we would might think, well, the law is going to come back into effect. Huh. The law is a piece of cake compared to this. All the law said is if you do this, you're going to get it. The law did not say, well, now, if you even think this way, boy, that's where, that's where they get sin in the mind. That's where people get sin in the mind, you know. But the sad truth is I cannot look at anybody here and read their mind. Did you know that? And if you read mine, it's a short story, so that, I'll tell you right now. But we can't do that. And God never gave that ability. So why do people want to use this for today? I don't know. I think it's so much easier to take the Bible literally and this is what God said, this is what it means. Therefore, because it means this, it's obviously not for today. And we go back and we find out he's talking about a kingdom that he's going to make for... Oh, how simple is it to take it literally? Pastor, is, how good is your imagination? Would you like to read... See, Pastor and I are the same way. I don't have enough imagination to, to change this. I'd much rather see what God has to say. And if what I say disagrees with the Bible, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to change what I say and say I was wrong. And I've done that before. And I've done it publicly. Because this is the Word of God. This is true. This is a human. He's prone to error. And all these people that say this is for today are human, and they're all prone to error, and they are dead wrong. Well, let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're thankful that your word is simple and plain. It isn't up to us to have a clever imagination. It isn't up to us to have all kind of a philosophical background so that we can reason from the great thinkers of Aristotle and Plato and these other men that were unsaved and did not know anything about you. It's not up to, the, uh, to us to find any hidden wisdom or hidden magic or perform some voodoo spell and have a seance to bring up the prophet Moses to see what he really meant when he said, Thou shalt not murder. Father, all we need to do is to look at this book that you've given us and see what it says, take it literally, and then we'll understand that there is a difference between Israel and the church, and our better thing is so much better even than what's going to be in the millennium because we're not going to be in, under that law. It's not having any effect on us now, and it won't in the future because we will be made like Christ and we will be there to see these things in effect, but we are not going to be part of it because we do have something much, much, much better. And we're thankful. Bless us now in the service that follows. We ask in our Savior's wonderful name. Amen.